Welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast, where reverence meets relevance. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message by our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly. What's up, what's up, what's up? How you guys doing today? How you like the digs? Like if you weren't here last week, you, you, you think this is a surprise. But last week it was a bigger surprise because I wore a suit last week. And uh, if you're new around here, do not get used to this. This is not the way I roll. Um, but uh, it's a part of a series that we are in. And last week I, I wore uh, a suit with a red tie. Oh, baby. I never would have thought some of you would have interpreted, you must be one of those right-wing conservative Republican people with that red flag, a red tie on. So I wore a blue tie for you guys today, just to show you we're not trying to send any mixed messages, right? And then, and then people said, oh, one candidate was in the camera shots more than others. <laughs> just so you see that we are not trying to do any subtle messaging here, what do you say we change it up? Huh? No subtle messages, church. We're not here to endorse a candidate. We're here to think about how we are to live in the 21st century and how to be faithful to Christ. Amen? I mean, how many of you were here last week? Show of hands, show of hands. Well, see, that just blows my mind. So many of you weren't here. Unbelievable. I I worry about the day that everybody comes. I don't know what we're going to do. But I hope you do get more in a habit of every single Sunday being in the house of the Lord. Amen? We'll make, we'll make accommodations. We'll, uh, we'll bust these walls out. We'll expand this building. But if you weren't here last week, my wife said, you know what? You were, you were like stepping from one hot button issue to the next hot button issue. And I really was. And if you missed it, you can go to the Resource Center and get that message from last Sunday. Or at the end of today, you can get that message. And, uh, you know, I was a little worried. But, hey, I am who I am. And I am here Called to preach the word of God, period. Amen. I am not in a popularity contest. And so if I rubbed you wrong last week, I am sorry. But I believe the gospel actually afflicts the comforted and comforts the afflicted. And so um, I'm glad about four of you want me to preach the word at this church. You might not know this, but when we built this building, we literally, uh, when they were laying the concrete slab of this whole floor, I told them to stop, and I brought in here uh, one of my favorite Bibles. I placed it under this teaching platform before they laid the concrete slab and before they built this stage up as a reminder to all of us that this book, this Bible, would be the rock-solid foundation, and authoritative voice in the movement known as New Hope Church. And so, I don't mean to offend, but sometimes I do, but it is what it is. Amen? Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. Glad you guys are here at all of our campuses. I want to give a warm shout out to the ladies at the North Carolina Correctional Institute. We love you ladies over there and we love to minister to you. 
We have a person who just got released uh, this week who's here with us today. That's happening all the time now. Garner, love you guys over there. Love what God's doing there. Uh, the Latino campus, the internet campus, television ministry, uh, the Sanford campus, and uh, you guys here at Central. Welcome one, welcome all. It's going to be a great, great day to be in the house of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, check it out. Um, uh, Let me just do a little review, little review. Uh, If you were here last week, um, I'm going to make this really, really fast. But for those, as you saw, like a lot of people are here today. They weren't here last week. I need to do a little catch up. And so I want to offer you three statements of review very, very fast. The first one is this. If you were here, I hope you heard this, but you know, you never know. But I love the United States of America. I love this country. I was born and bred here. You will never find a more red-blooded boy, a United States of America boy, than this old guy. I love this country, and I honor those who serve this country, and I honor those who give us freedom, the men and women who put on the uniforms and serve this country. Can we give them a big hand to show them how much we appreciate them? I don't like when the Spirit leads me to say something that I don't want to say. The whole thrust of my message is to try to get us to understand as a church that we have this propensity for clapping louder for American stuff than Jesus. Because later on in this service, I'll talk to you and you'll be preaching, be talking about Jesus, I'll get you to clap and you'll go... That's why I'm doing this, guys. We have gone way too far in some of this stuff. We have slipped Americanism in for the place that Jesus deserves rightly to be on the throne of our lives. And I know that's all off script, guys, but I'm going to follow the Spirit here today. That, we got we to gotta check our hearts on some of this stuff. But back to where I was going. I love the United States of America. I mean, when I travel abroad and come back, I kiss the sidewalk. I love this great land. But I talked about last week, the reality is America is now experiencing a post-Christendom apostolic era. What I mean by that, the word Christendom is actually a word that defines the church or or Christianity, if you will, of being the, um, the official religion of the state. So Christendom, when it entered into the early part of the history since the days of Jesus, Christendom was the day that that Constantine made Christianity legal. And then it spread across Europe, then it spread to the United States of America, and we have all lived in the the latter parts, the ending parts, if you will, of Christendom, but I'm starting to get ahead of myself. But I pointed out last week that the reality is America has now slipped into a post-Christendom era. What I mean by that is we now live in a country that no longer holds up Christianity as the official religion of the United States of America. Now, you can disagree with me and you can dislike it, but you will be wrong. And I don't say that with any arrogance. Please hear my heart here. Guys, it's just a fact. 
Like only about 35% of Americans go to church on a regular basis anymore. I know that's the you know, people still talking about America, we're a godly nation, blah, 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 blah. It's really that, blah, 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 blah. It's not. And, and I'm not saying, yippee, that's great news. That's not what I'm saying. I'm actually saying this is, this is bad news. But like, guys, have you noticed, I mean, Jesus is not a name that's very popular in mainstream media. You watch the national media. People talk about God all day long. Everybody's talking about God. But you mention Jesus and you get the Heisman. Like, guys, 1990, 22 years ago, when I first um, got a, became a Christian and got back into high school, yes, I was a high school dropout. If you're here, young person, and you're a high school dropout, there is hope for you, okay? I was a high school dropout. I accepted Jesus Christ at the age of 18, got back into the 11th grade. Yes, I was 18 years old in the 11th grade. Get you some of that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and I was there and I was, I mean, when, when Christ saved me, just radically wrecked my life. And so uh, I was all in for Jesus. I've only known one speed for Jesus since I came to know him in 1988. And so I started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at St. Jude High School in Sumter, South Carolina. The Catholic school was the only one that would take me. The, the public schools would not take Benji Kelly. They had tried that dude, and they were not going to take him back. Well, St. Jude Catholic School took me in, and I started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And in 1990, um, we were going to play a playoff baseball game. I was on the baseball team. I'd gotten back into sports as well. And because I was the founder of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I was asked to say the prayer before the game. And the day before I was supposed to say the prayer before the playoff game, the officials that were putting on that particular playoff got in touch with me and said, hey, we're thrilled that you're going to pray, but don't mention the name of Jesus. And the same tension that just sat in the room right there was the same tension that sat into my heart and my soul and my spirit. And I prayed about it and I slept on it and I consulted with my student pastors and others. And I had to let them know the next day, the day of the game, that this old boy was not going to pray if he couldn't pray in the name of Jesus. That was 22 years ago. And we've slipped further and further and further since those days. We no longer live in a Christendom America. It is a post-Christendom America. Then I, and then again, just real quick on the review. I went through 2,000 years of history and I just broad-stroked five main eras that we live in or that we've seen happen since the days of Jesus. And I challenged you to put on your thinking caps. And you did last week. It was incredible. And I just let you know that, listen, guys, Christianity is not a faith that you need to check your brain at the door. Some churches try to convince you of that. No, I think Christians in the 21st century should see, be some of the most intelligent, informed, biblically knowledgeable people on the planet. And so don't check your brain at the door at this church. We want to think about things. We want to have good conversations. We want to ask good questions. We want to discuss this. And so last week I talked to you about this, these five eras, if you will, since the days of Jesus. The first one is the apostolic era or the early church. What is it? It's from about 6 B.C. to about 100 A.D. This was the day uh, in which Jesus walked on the planet Earth. This was the day that most of the New Testament was written. This was that first 100 years or so of the apostolic era or the early church era. Fast forward to about 330 and a man by the name of Constantine 
who was a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church. He was uh, lifted to sainthood, if you will. After a couple key battles, he issued the Edict of Milan and made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Thus beginning what scholars and historians have called Christendom. It continued throughout first century Palestine. It spread throughout Europe. Christianity was the only game in town, if you will. And then it jumped over the pond, if you will, got into America. And in 1517, we see the Protestant Reformation. That time in which Martin Luther got fed up with the, the indulgences and the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. He nailed the 95 Thesis up on the door of the Roman Catholic Church, thus starting the Protestant Reformation. You hear the likes of George Whitfield, John Wesley, Swingley, some of these greats that you've heard of. They jumped the Atlantic Pond, if you will, and uh, uh, Christendom had moved into America. This nation was founded on Christian biblical principles. I'm not one of those, though, who says that, you know, everybody who founded America, all, of the, all those people were Christians. I don't say that. There were a lot of them who were deists. But by and large, America was founded on biblical Christian principles. That's the Protestant Reformation era. And then I shared with you last week that around 1960... The earth started to quake underneath our feet, if you will, and we started to see the end of Christendom. I shared with you how a watershed event happened in South Carolina in 1963, but you can look at any state and you can start to see the quaking of the spiritual landscape of America such that by the year of 1980, Christendom had been washed away like a sand castle on the shore of New Jersey during Hurricane Sandy. Gone. And by 1980, Christendom had all but vanished from the American landscape. And now what we're currently in is from 1980 to present, we are in a post-Christendom or an end-of-Christendom apostolic era. You might not like it. You might not want to raise your kids in it. I might not like it. I might tremble. But I believe, and I hope you'll see this by the end of the message, I believe it is some of the most exciting days in the history of humanity that we are living in right here, right now. There's nothing better than being in the church of Jesus Christ Today, when you understand this worldview, this perspective that I started to introduce with you last week, that I'm going to wrap up today as we make our way to the table of the Lord. If you're still tracking with me, say, bring it on, Pastor. Oh, you bless me. All that in 12 minutes or so review. Last week, I talked about four things, and then we're off and running. I talked to you about the call of Jesus and politics is basically this, pray. Pray. Have you been praying? Have you been? Have I changed the candidates? Oh, I did? Okay, just want to make sure. I don't want any more of those complaint cards. I mean, connect cards. <laughs> um, so so uh, pray. I hope you're praying. Pray, 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 pray. I talked about thinking biblically, vote civilly, and submit to governing authorities. Think biblically, church, as you go and vote. Think biblically. And I got to say this, I, I've, I've, 
I don't even know if the, I, I haven't, I don't know. I've been struggling with whether or not to say this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Listen to me. As a church that is now one of the most racially diverse churches in the nation, listen to me, diverse New Hope. Don't vote for a candidate based upon his skin color. These are far more important issues than one's pigment in their skin. Okay? So if you're a white person, white people, we don't vote for this man because he's white. If you're a black person, black people, we don't vote for this man because he's African American. Think biblically. Vote civilly and submit to governing authorities. On Wednesday, somebody's going to be declared a winner. Now, I got, I'm, I'm going to be a prophet here for a moment. I'm not sure we'll even know right away. I think this is probably might be so close we might not even know. But let's just imagine that we do know on Wednesday, if your candidate won, there's going to be this temptation to bust on up into work. You'll be skipping. You'll be whistling Dixie. You'll be giving people stuff. And don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go pick on the person that you work with who you know wanted the other candidate to win. And if you didn't win, if your candidate doesn't win, don't go walking into your workplace or where like Eeyore, like <laughs> telling people to shut up and wanting to punch people in the throat. Don't do that. <laughs> We're part of a bigger story, church. We're part of a bigger story. So I'll unpack that as the day goes on. Be the church. That was the third thing I said. Be the church and then determine your allegiance. I talked last week a lot about allegiance because when you get a hold of this vision of the church that I've been painting or should I say when that vision of the church actually gets a hold of you you'll actually start to understand what I mean around this place when I refer to the church as the hope of the world you'll actually start to get a glimpse of God's vision for the church and you'll be so thankful that you are a part of it open up your Bibles to Matthew 22 Matthew 22. If you're ready for the word of the Lord, say amen. amen. Matthew 22. Great passage of scripture. Revolutionary text. I'll read a little bit of it and then you'll see some verses on the screens. Matthew 22. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. New Testament. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? It's a trick question. They're trying to trap Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we know that we're supposed to be about this kind of kingdom that you've been talking about, but we're still citizens of Rome. Tell us, Jesus, tax day is coming up, April 15th. God, help us. Should we pay taxes or not? <laughs> Look at what Jesus says. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarii and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Revolutionary. 
to understand it, you have to understand the succession of Caesars. Caesar after Caesar after Caesar would rule in this part of the world. This Caesar has nothing to do with one of your favorite salad dressings that you like with Italian food. That's, these were men. They were kings. They were Caesars. This Caesar during Jesus' day was a nutcase. He was a freak. He, was, he, he actually had quotes that he would spread throughout and make the people declare. Here's one of them. You biblical uh, scholars will recognize this. This was the quote that Caesar would have the people say to him. For there is no other name, no other name, under heaven by which one must be saved other than Caesar. Sound familiar? Here was another one. Caesar is Lord. So Caesar would ride up on horseback and, and the people of Rome in those days would say, Caesar is Lord. Sound familiar? The Bible says Jesus is Lord. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus. So when Jesus comes along and he starts calling people to leave the political structures of the day, he starts inviting people to leave and actually go up to the Sea of Galilee. Listen, I'm using some very important words here. And to live on the peripheral edge of the community, to be an entourage, if you will, to be a movement of radical Christ followers. When he came along and he would say things like, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, he was actually calling people to say yes to a capital K kingdom and no to the smaller kingdoms of this world. It's, it's that big. It's that revolutionary and when you all oh, when you if you are a Christian now if you're not I'm not talking to you so glad you're here but if you are a baptized believer and you consider yourself a Christian when you slip away to follow Jesus it is just that big in terms of scope it is just that significant in terms of identifying your ultimate allegiance it is just that countercultural it is just that controversial it is just that ultimate pledge of allegiance now goes to Jesus Christ and not any political figure, not any political party, but my allegiance is in a crucified Savior who died on a cross for me, who shed his blood for me, who has forgiven me of my sin, placed the Holy Spirit in my life, written my name upon the Lamb's book of life. And when I get to the end of this old world, I will step into another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and reign with God forever and ever and ever. It is that big. It is that big. So in a very real sense... This worked to prove my point last week, but it no longer really works today, beloved. This is our kingdom. Let me give you a few very, very important quotes. If you write down one thing, I want you to write this one sentence down. And it's a short sentence, so you're going to be able to write it down. The primary political task of the church is to be the church. 
You're going, what do I do in this political mess? What do I do in this divided states of America, not united? What do I do? If you're a Christ follower, you understand that the primary political task of the church is to actually be the church. Not to pick it in certain political lines. Like, how many of you have voted early? A lot of you, man. Some of you, did you experience what I experienced? Um, I, I went, I'm not going to name what party it was, but when I went to vote on Friday, I actually walked up with my family and we were babysitting this beautiful little girl and I walked up to vote and one political, uh, particular political party, that's a mouthful, one particular political party actually came, kind of trapped us and started handing us pieces of paper. Hey, you want to vote straight party? You want to vote, 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 vote for this candidate? Vote for this candidate? And I'm like, I did the Heisman. I'm like, get out of my face. Have you had this happen to you? Oh, okay, good. I'm not the only one. I thought maybe I just looked vulnerable. (laughs) When you start to understand what I'm saying today, you will understand that, listen, while you might be a part of some of those things, you might get involved in certain nonprofit agencies. You, You try to discern where you want to give your time and your talent and your treasure. You can keep considering all the other options. But listen, this is why I started the church. I actually believe that the church is the hope of the world. So this pastor, as long as you go to this church, I will continually, I will never stop calling you, begging you, inspiring you, encouraging you to give your best, your time, your talent, your treasure to the church of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. Because when you place the political things of this day, when you place all the other agencies of this world and you, com- you compare them to the church, listen, beloved, they pale in comparison. There's no other redemptive movement on planet earth like the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Or a strong clap. I like that better. The primary political task of the church is to be the church, just in case you missed it the first time. The primary political task of the church is to serve the Kiwanis Club. I'm not against Kiwanis Club. The primary political task of the church is to be involved in the Chamber of Commerce. I'm not against the Chamber of Commerce. The primary political task of the church is to be either in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. The primary political task of the church is to be the church. Faithful. As a kind of countercultural image movement embodiment of God's design for the redemption of humanity. Big quote here. Put your thinking caps on, but you can take it. Here we go. We serve the world. We serve the world by showing it something that it is not. Namely, a place where God is forming a family. A community, a colony, an entourage, a movement of God lovers reaching, teaching, and releasing more and more God lovers into the world. Don't miss this. So that we actually overturn the world in the same way Jesus did. Not in the political arena, but rather as a subversive community of radical Jesus lovers. See it? Oh, I hope you see it. 
See, guys, this is why if I could pick any era in which to be born, seriously, as I've studied church history, as I've studied the history of humanity, if I could pick, and I can't, but if I could have picked any era in which to be born and live out my ministry in the church of Jesus Christ, it would be the 21st century right here, right now, because it is so exciting. We don't have to get wrapped up in all of this. Our identity is not Republican or Democrat. Our identity is baptized Christ followers. Our identity is not surrendering and submitting to a political party or any human being. Our identity is surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. And when he returns, as I said last week, he won't be riding on a donkey or a stinking elephant. He will be riding on a white horse and everybody will surrender. The Bible says every knee, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, oh, just, just once you get this, well, like I said, it gets you. You'll never go fishing for perch again. Peter went fishing for perch. Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee, John 21, read it later. And Jesus says, basically, why in the heck are you back fishing for perch? I called you to fish for people. Do you love me? Jesus said, feed my sheep. Carl Bart, Carl Bart. the one and only Carl Bart. he said this, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts the ways of the world in a way that is full of promise. Did y'all hear about the woman who won the lottery this week in San Bernardino? Did y'all hear about this woman? <laughs> she was riding down the highway six months ago. She and her daughter, she was feeling sick, so they pulled over to a, a liquor store slash gas station and she told her daughter to go into the liquor store and buy her a bottle of water. As her daughter was walking into the store, she said, oh, yeah, why don't you buy me one of those lottery tickets, too? So her daughter buys her a lottery ticket, comes back, gives it to Julia Severa. Here she is. Here's Julia Severa. And Julia Severa takes the lottery ticket, sticks it in her glove box, and forgets all about it. For six months now, they've been trying to identify the winner of the lottery ticket. They finally had to show video footage of her daughter buying the lottery ticket to try to run down Miss Julia Severa because the deadline was November 26th, like of this year, like right around the corner. And if they could not find Miss Julia Severa by November 26th, she would not win the lottery. So finally they showed a picture of her daughter buying the ticket and the, and the, 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 the picture went viral. Finally ended up at Miss Julia Severa's house. She said she picked up her 99-cent pair of reading glasses put them on so she could make out her daughter on the computer screen. She said her first thought was, oh my Lord, my daughter has been arrested. <laughs> Finally, she picked up another pair of glasses. You can't make up these kinds of stories. She picked up another pair of glasses to read the caption at the bottom that declared that her daughter had bought the winning lottery ticket. She ran outside of her house, went to her car, went rummaging through the glove box, found the winning lottery ticket... For $52 million. And of course she took the cash up front. And walked away this week. With $23 million. 
dollars. You say, what in the world does this have to do with Jesus and politics? It has everything to do. Because here's what I thought when I saw that. I thought, oh God, there's so many people in the church of Jesus Christ today. And they don't realize they are sitting on the winning jackpot ticket for the kingdom of God. They don't realize... Some of you are here and you don't realize you're looking for other things. And listen, you are in the church, the jackpot, the winning ticket for all of humanity. And you're sitting here and you're playing church. See, you think, you think this is all about going on Sunday morning and just getting a little something, something of Jesus and then going about your day. Some of you think that this isn't that significant. I can, I can do it anywhere. I don't need the church. And you might sit here for five years. And some of you have been sitting in the church for 50 years. And you've never fully grasped. And I'm hoping you are with this series. You've never fully internalized and come to terms with the fact, again, that the winning jackpot for all of humanity... Is the church. In all of its brokenness. In all of its messiness. I know. I know some of you are like. But pastor I know history. I've seen the church. I've had some bad church experiences. And listen beloved. On behalf of all the pastors. Can I just apologize? Like I'm sorry. I know the church has not always shined as brightly as she should. But let me tell you something. When she is hitting on all cylinders, there is nothing more beautiful than the church of Jesus Christ. When she's running like she should run. When people are breaking down racial barriers. When people are loving Jesus Christ. When they're in the world but not of the world. There is nothing like the church. The hope of the world. It's why we started this. If I didn't believe this stuff deep to the bottom of my toes, I would have never given my life to the church. Who knows? Some of you are biblical scholars. Some of you have been to seminary. Who knows the word for church in the Greek? Hmm? I think I heard it. it yes, 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 yes. Ecclesia or ecclesia. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia. Say it with me. Ecclesia. One more time. Ecclesia. Ecclesia is made up of two words, ek, ek, and ecclesia. And the, and the word actually means, when you study it, the word actually means to be called out. When you're a part of the church, you're a called out community of faith. Now, here's what's interesting when you study that word in the biblical days, particularly in Jesus' day, ecclesia was a political term. Ecclesia referred to Caesar and his people as being a called out community. You got to understand that in those days, the, the area was ruled by earthly kings. And they had small k kingdoms. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. And so Jesus comes along and Jesus starts telling a very confrontational teaching about the fact that he is the king, capital K. And that he has come to usher into existence the capital K kingdom. And then Jesus and the church just kind of hijacks this word ecclesia. To make a very profound point. That to be a part of the church. Is to be a part 
of a called out community. Called out from what? From the political forces of the day. Called out from what? From the ways of the world. You are ecclesia. Stanley Hauerwas, who is a very confrontational figure, I took every course I could take with Dr. Stanley Hauerwas from Duke University's Divinity School. Stanley Hauerwas, I'm going to show you a video. And if you're not careful, and that's why I need to set this video up. If you're not careful, you'll quickly dismiss him. I was actually amazed at how much he's aged in the last 10 years. But Stanley Hauerwas, don't let his, um, don't let his uh, look fool you. And don't let his voice fool you. I mean, he talks like this right here. And he's been known, many of my classes, he would get so passionate about what I'm telling you. He would literally, wiry little Stanley Hauerwas, he would jump up on his desk. And with blood vessels popping out of his neck, he would talk to you about being the church. Don't let it fool you. Listen, listen. He's not one of the. He is the the most reputable, world-renowned, biblical ethicist. He's received award after award after award. A pastor friend went and videoed him this week with a phone. It's raw. It's a little unedited. He sneezes in the video, and I think he's about to die and go be with Jesus. Wait till you see this. It's, it's hilarious. He sneezes. I don't, I don't, I don't think he's even going to recover from the interview. No one has shaped my ethical worldview, my ecclesiology, I'm sorry, wrong word, my church ecclesia, my, my understanding of the church. No one, no one has informed it like Dr. Stanley Hauerwas. Watch this. I think, I think it'll be worth three minutes of your time. Check it out. How should the church frame its responsibility politically in this election season? Any thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, you, um, you uh, have the responsibility not to take it too seriously. <laughs> um, um, I, um, uh, I think, one, people oftentimes forget that elections um, are coercive. Is where 50.1% uh, get to tell 49.9% how to live. <laughs> so elections are not in and of itself the character of democratic life. <clears throat> but that um, Instead, um, elections are meant <clears throat> to force a conversation about the discovery of goods that could not be discovered without the conversation taking place. Um, but unfortunately, elections in America have so little to do with people. I mean, we elect commercials now. And uh, so I think Christians uh, in the kind of political season we're in should view it all 
not necessarily with cynicism, but with an appropriate realism about why this isn't decisive for our people. Excuse me. I, I, um, uh, He's still trying to recover. I, I think um, that I mean, in some ways, I'm very, I can be very cynical about contemporary politics. It seems to me it's analogous to the Roman circus, namely it's uh, entertainment to keep the populace um, uh, consumed by um, uh, distraction in a way that they're not really in any way ready to uh, engage in the kind of work necessary to really do something about uh, the world in which we find ourselves. So it's entertainment. Entertainment? Now, I know some of you who are more political than others, you would push back on that. That's okay. Others of you who are not very political and you find yourself jaded, you find yourself cynical, you actually find in this kind of worldview that I'm trying to paint for you the last two weeks a very liberating message. Whereby you understand that at the end of the day, yes, this is a very important political election on Tuesday. Can I get an amen? amen. It's important. But can I tell you that in four years we'll be faced with another important election? And in another four years we'll be faced with another important political election. They're all important. But beloved, compared to who the church votes their ultimate allegiance for, they pale in comparison. Because they are not the hope of the world. Jesus Christ and his church is the hope of the world. So when Wednesday rolls around, regardless of who you want to win, your candidate is still on the throne. And it's not Governor Mitt Romney. And it's not President Barack Obama. But it is a crucified Lord who said on the night he was betrayed, when he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Pour it out for you for the forgiveness of sins. When you come together, do this in remembrance of me. Like just imagine that for a moment. See, I think sometimes we do things we don't even think about it anymore. How peculiar is it to be a person in the 21st century who actually believes by faith that when I take a piece of bread and I drink a cup of juice that I am receiving the body and the blood of Christ. 
it's countercultural. Think about it for a moment. For those of you who, who engage in our baptism party on the patios, how peculiar to be a people who gather around a pool of water <laughs> and we dunk you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These sacramental, tangible representations of God's goodness are yet just another testimony to what it means to be in the church of Jesus Christ. So that when we get to Matthew 26, the Bible says this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely, don't mean, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with who? You. When I drink it with you in my Father's capital K kingdom. The body and the blood of Christ. In the late 20th century, there was something that happened in Russia that I believe stands as an amazing story for us to cap off this series with Jesus and politics. It seems that the Orthodox Russian church, or should I say the Russian Orthodox church, actually got at odds with the Russian Communist Party. Few churches had more accommodated themselves to the social roles than the Russian Orthodox Church, which reminds me, should it have been Russian Orthodox Church or should it have been the Orthodox Russian Church? It reminds me, should you be considered an American Christian or a Christian American? You say, well, you're just, you're, just, you're just splitting hairs. Oh, no, 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 no. Words are important. And the Russian Orthodox Church started to 
come under the infringement, if you will, of the Russian Communist Party. You see, in those days, the priest of the Russian Orthodox Church, they would come to the front porches of their churches on Sunday. True story. And the priest would ring a bell. And everyone in the local community would realize that it was time to come to the table of the Lord. And they would come, they would come in droves as the priest would ring the bell. That is until the Russian Communist Party declared, You priest shall no longer ring that bell on Sunday morning and invite those people to the church. And in a defining moment, the Russian Orthodox Church, or should I say in that moment, they became the Orthodox Russian Church. In that moment, the priest found an opportunity to rise up and be the church of Jesus Christ. And so they looked at the Russian Communist Party and they said, We shall not back down. We shall not stop ringing that bell, inviting our brothers and sisters to communion. Some of you are smiling and shaking your head with delight, and I'm with you. It's a great story, but here's where the story gets nasty. The Russian Communist Party settled in on the priest of the Orthodox Russian Church, and they slaughtered him. Slaughtered him by the dozens, into the hundreds. They slaughtered the priest. But in a moment again, when I believe the church truly found its identity, in a moment when the the Russian Orthodox Church said, we will not allow the political forces of the day to infringe upon our right to worship God and receive Holy Communion, we will keep ringing our bell. And with dogged stubbornness, they kept inviting brothers and sisters to the table of the Lord till finally... The Communist Party decided we better back off. And the church marched on. And every Sunday morning, those priests kept ringing that bell. When you really lock into what I'm saying over the last two weeks, you will start to understand, church, that it will become more and more tricky in the 21st century to live as a faithful Christ follower. If you really get what I'm saying, you will understand that a day is coming when the church of Jesus Christ will continue, as we already are, to experience subtle and they will get more aggressive forms of persecution, even from the United States of America. In case you don't know it, in the last four, five, six years alone, the church's benefits as a nonprofit, the, the status of the church in America, if you will, they are starting to be stripped away in the name of pluralism, in the name of postmodernity. And we will be forced to answer. Listen, you might think only I will be forced to answer. But dear sir, dear ma'am, I beg to differ. If you are going to be a Christ follower in the 21st century, you will be forced to answer. Who's going to get your ultimate allegiance? Are you going to follow the laws of the state? We should. But what about 
when they are diametrically opposed to what it means to be a Christ follower. And if you really get what I'm saying here today, it should not surprise you if one day you wake up and on the front page of the Herald Sun, your pastor has been arrested because he would not back down from worshiping, serving, celebrating, and singing to the Christ of all creation. Now I hope, I, I hope, I'm not wishing for that. And I hope you'll come see me. There'll be visiting hours. But what I'm calling you to, church, is a dogged stubbornness commensurate with the priest of that Orthodox Roman Russian church who said, we will not back down. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting there and you're like, well, 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 dog, I just wanted to, I was just hoping to go to church and get me a little something, something this morning, a little, little pep for the week, you know, a little Jesus, Jesus, just go play a little church. This isn't the place for you, beloved. We are about becoming a radical group of Christ followers who will charge hell with a water pistol because we love Jesus and we take this stuff seriously. And so when you hear that and you understand that, you understand what I'm about to invite you to. I'm not inviting you to play church and get a little piece of bread and drink a little juice and go home. I'm inviting you to stand when the usher leads you at all of our campuses and come to a table and by receiving a piece of bread and lifting up a common cup, we declare we are brothers. Like we are sisters. We are the body of Christ. And we will declare by receiving this bread and this cup that our ultimate allegiance. It's not in a man. But is in a crucified Savior. Who holds the keys to life and death, heaven and hell. So I invite you, campus pastors, I'm going to turn it back over to you as you lead your campuses in receiving the Lord's Supper. We love you guys. God bless you during this sacred time. Church, you are invited to come stand not with a political candidate but with a crucified Lord who loves you who saved you who will be with you through thick and thin who will carry you from this world into the next if you want to receive that if you want to continue to commune with him this is your opportunity the ushers will lead you. This section will come down. You'll come to this area. Circle around the back. The, the second half of the room, you'll go to these two back stations. Ushers will lead you. You guys, two center sections, you'll come down. Come to the table of the Lord. 
this section here. You'll come out this way, come down, receive the cup and the bread. Those of you in the back, again, the ushers will lead you to these back stations. I sensed in the first service that people wanted to receive communion together. Sometimes we, sometimes we take it on our own. Sometimes we take it together. I'm going to follow the Spirit's lead here and say, as you get these elements, as you stand to your feet, as you take this stand for Christ, if you'd like, just carry the cup and the bread back to your seat. And I'll lead us as we take it together. Father God, thank you for this day. Father, thank you for this meal that is so sacred. That maybe, God, I just pray, I pray, I pray that we, we will actually understand it more profoundly, more deeply. That we will actually understand that it is at this table, Lord, where you communicated your love, your eternal love and grace for us. But, Lord, it is also at this table that we stand to our feet and as a community of faith we declare we are yours we will follow you we will serve you we will worship you yes God we will participate in the things of this world when we're called to we'll vote for the president we'll wish for the best we'll pray for the best but God at the end of the day our allegiance doesn't lie with any particular party for we have been baptized into Christ we have crossed over the line. We will not turn back. So thank you for receiving us at this table. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you'd like to financially support the movement of New Hope Church, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.